Jonah. He's near the end of the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. And as you're turning, uh, consider a, a few things. First, uh, I know we're in a mini-series in the book of Jonah. We're going to be spending about 10 weeks on the topic of Jonah. But what we're doing this morning is we're kind of doing a mini-series within a series. If Jonah wasn't small enough, we're doing a mini-series within Jonah. Um, and what I mean to say by that is, is this week um, is meant to back up uh, to next week's sermon. This is a part one of, of two sermons. Uh, this morning we're looking at Jonah, and next week we're looking at the sailors. So just to make you aware, this is part one of two sermons uh, on this passage. Um, in addition to that, I want us to consider this, uh, the concept of rebellion. I introduced it this morning before we, we started worship um, with this fact. Uh, very few of us wake up in the morning, you know, kind of stretch our arms, go, sunny, 70 degrees. I mean, it's a perfect day for a rebellion. None of us wake up and just decide, man, I feel like rebelling today. That just seems like, I'm going to put that on the docket. No, there's, there's a catalyst there is something that nudges us. There's a shoulder that pushes us over the edge. There is something that gives birth to rebellion. It doesn't just happen on its own. What is it? We're looking at Jonah's rebellion this morning and what exactly causes his rebellion. Well, let's find out. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This is God-breathed. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Let's pray. Spirit, now we are operating in your department. Many years ago, you inspired the men to write these words. You forced their hand. You enlightened their minds. And now, Spirit, we ask, we ask the same. 
as you move so powerfully in them, move powerfully in us. Cause our eyes to see the truth, for we are blind. Cause our hearts to see the goodness and the graciousness of our God, for we are blind. Lead us into repentance. Lead us into submission before the Father, Spirit, for we are unable. Spirit, unless you disrupt and unless you interfere and unless you take the scales from our eyes, this will just be information and it won't be life-changing. We ask you to aid us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Their slogan reads as follows, and this is everywhere. This is their slogan. Never, never submit. Never, never submit. If you go to the webpage, you would see this all over their webpage. This is, this is the slogan for the MMA. If you don't know what the MMA is, I didn't either. It's the mixed martial arts. It's basically not boxing and it's not wrestling, but it's something kind of in between. And they put these people in these cage matches and they fight. And if you look at their t-shirts, if you look at their slogans, if you look at all their propaganda, they even have a video that you can watch on YouTube. And guess what the title of it is called? Never, never submit. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And what they're communicating is this, is to, to submit or, or, or to bow a knee is, is, is in one sense to be weak, is to show signs of weakness. And what they're saying at the MMA is there is none of that here. You will see none of that here. We at the MMA, we will never, never submit. And as followers of Christ and as readers of the Bible, we have to wrestle with this too because there's part of us that kind of wants to rally behind that, don't we? We, we hear, that, we hear that, that adage, never, never submit. And we go, yeah, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to give in. Well, we don't want to be an easy win. We, yeah, there, there's, there's something about that that I want to get behind. But at the same time, Jesus says, if anyone must follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow. Follow is a word of submission. What's up from down here? What's, what's left from right? What are we supposed to see? In our passage this morning, we're dealing with this very topic of submission. And using Jonah's life as an illustration, he's going to be like a portrait for us. Our passage is going to clearly state this. There is no kingdom without submission. There's no kingdom without submission. Now, I mentioned to you this morning that there are, there are two sermons here. And what God is going to do in this passage is this. If you've ever seen this at the beginning of a fight, you know, two people are about to go at it. One guy says this. You've probably seen it in a movie. You've seen it somewhere. He says, go ahead, hit me. See what happens. See what happens. Watch what happens. Right? In our passage this morning, God in his grace, he's not going to be mean like that, but in his grace, he's going to show us what happens when we claim on one hand to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But on the other side, I also believe in this adage, I will never, never submit. What we're going to see in our passage this morning through the life of Jonah is God's going to paint this portrait of what life looks like without submission. What does life look like for someone who will never bend, bend the knee? Three things I want us to, to see this morning in regards to this rebellion, to Jonah's rebellion. First is the birth. Where does it come from? Remember, you don't wake up and just decide we're going to rebel today. Something causes it. There's a catalyst. What is it? First is the birth of rebellion. Second is the wake. The wake of rebellion. And lastly, the ends of rebellion. Birth, 
wake and ends, E-N-D-S, ends of rebellion. First, uh, the birth of rebellion. What causes it? Um, Let's look again at verses 2 and 3. And as we read this passage, notice the command of God. Notice what God says, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. And then notice the the prophet's response, okay? Verses 2 and 3, the beginning of verse 3. Arise, go to that city of Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The command of God is to arise, go, call out. Jonah the prophet arises and goes the other direction. Nineveh is northeast. Tarshish is southwest. The irony here is is, is hard to overlook. Where did this come from? Why is Jonah rebelling? And he's not thinking about it. He's not deliberating. He's not going, you know, let me think about this, Lord. No, it's immediate. God says, go this way. Jonah says, no, I'm going that way. Why is Jonah so rebellious? We addressed it last week in our, in our conversation about God and his mercy and compassion. And, and God had done something in redemptive history. He had taken this line of pity and compassion and he moved it around the city of Nineveh. And he told Jonah, he said, I'm going to be merciful and compassionate to the city of Nineveh. And what we know from the Old Testament is that Nineveh was not just Israel's neighbor, but it was Israel's enemy. It was their natural enemy. And the atrocities that Nineveh and Assyria performed on Israel were unspeakable. And so what we have here is is this horizontal anger. Jonah is mad at at Nineveh, and he wants nothing to do with that. But what's more, what's more, there's another anger here in this passage. And it's an anger that's going to eclipse this horizontal anger. As mad as Jonah is at Nineveh, as upset as he is about God showing mercy to them, there's another anger here that eclipses this anger. And it's Jonah's anger at the Lord. One scholar puts it this way. Jonah is so mad. He is so upset. He is so rebellious because God is exercising his sovereignty in a way that does not meet Jonah's approval. Let me say that again. God is exercising his sovereignty in a way that does not meet Jonah's approval. And so what's the result? Jonah rebels. Jonah doesn't want God to show mercy. Jonah doesn't want God to show pity and compassion. Jonah wants Sodom and Gomorrah version 2. He wants to see them burn. He wants to see them destroyed. And God says, no. I'm going to have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And what Jonah is forced to wrestle with in this passage and what we're forced to wrestle with is this truth that's not just here in Jonah, but it's all through Scripture. It's that we will never be number one. We will never be autonomous. We will never call the shots. This was the problem in Genesis 3, right? God has put Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says, I'm the creator. You're the creation. I'm the potter. You're the clay. I call the shots. I'm sovereign. I alone am autonomous. You are the servants. You are my people. You are my children. And the only thing that Adam and Eve did not have in the garden, they had everything. Everything but one thing. You know what it was? It was autonomy. That's the only thing they did not have. And out of the desires of their heart, they wanted it. And so what we see here is, is, is them not just defaming a, a sacred apple. They're defaming a sacred relationship. They told God, no, we're not happy with being number two. We want to be number one. We want to be in control. We want to be omnipotent. Om- omniscient. 
We want to call the shots, not you. And God says that will never be the case. And like Jonah, we have to wrestle with that this morning. God is alone sovereign. He alone has power and authority. We do not. Now, some of us kind of nod our heads and go, okay, but we all have to wrestle with this. And let me speak first to to our young folks. Let me speak first to the middle schoolers, high schoolers. And let me suggest this. I, I think I know why you're mad at your parents. Not because I'm a prophet or I have a crystal ball. I think I know why. Why you're so upset with your folks. It's not because they embarrass you or because they might not dress appropriately for the culture or the age of the time. You know why you're mad at them? It's because God has placed them in authority over you. And oftentimes they exercise their authority in a way that you don't approve of. You don't like it. You think that dress is long enough. You think that dress is modest enough. You think your curfew is too early. And no, that's not an inappropriate word, and I can use that as often as I want. That's why you're mad at your folks. That's why you get so upset with your parents is because God has placed them as an authority over your life, and they exercise that authority in ways that you don't like. I've been there. I've done that too. I want to speak to some of you too this morning in this way. Regardless of how beautiful of a portrait that we can paint, either from the pulpit or in a classroom, of the gospel, of what God is preparing for his people, regardless of how beautiful portrait of heaven we can portray, and regardless of how well we can communicate the treasures and the blessings that God has given to us in this life, if we can speak those with great eloquence, it doesn't matter. You are still not moved. You still will not reconcile with God because you know this one fact. As great as all of those things are, you're willing to give those up to remain autonomous, to remain the number one. Because you know that if, if you're going to follow Jesus, you will have to literally follow Jesus. You don't get to write any words on the contract. You give Jesus a blank contract. He writes it in. He fills it in. It's to admit that you are number two, not number one. It's to admit that you are the creation, not the creator. And that is hard. But what this passage tells us this morning is that there's no kingdom without submission. There's no kingdom without submission. I want to apply this. And this is going to be really hard. um, Because there's nothing in this passage that Jonah does that we can emulate and say, we, like Jonah, are to do this. In one sense, this morning, the application is the absence of application. Listen to the language of the of the sailors on behalf of Jonah. And and notice the irony. God says, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Listen to what the sailor says. Arise and call out to your God. Imagine being awoken by the same words that Yahweh just used, but this time by a pagan. And this pagan says to you, "Um, it's time to pray. It's time to call out to your God. Now, this is a prophet. (laughs) This is a man of God. He knows what prayer is, but he won't do it. And neither will we. Jonah won't pray. You won't pray. I won't pray. Why? Because prayer at its core, at its very nature, is an act of submission. It's bowing the knee. That's why people kneel when they pray. To pray and to pray in a real sense is to submit yourself before God. And Jonah won't do it. And we won't do it. And what Jonah's trying to say is, is there's no kingdom without submission. We've got to know that. We've got to wrestle with that. 
Second thing he's going to show us in this passage this morning, not just where rebellion comes from, but the effects of rebellion. We'll call this the wake of rebellion. Look with me again at verses 3 through 5. And notice, notice this as we read this passage. Notice what Jonah is willing to sacrifice to pursue this rebellion. Notice what, what he's willing to sacrifice. Verse 3, 4, and 5. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Three things we're supposed to see here. Three... um, Three symbols, three effects of Jonah's rebellion that, that do not include him. He, he's got this private rebellion. At this point, it's just between he and the Lord. But what we're going to see is that there's no such thing as a private rebellion. It's going to spill out into, the, into life. It's going to spill out into culture. It's going to go everywhere, and it's going to get really messy. Three things I want us to notice. The geographic effects, the financial effects, and the social effects. First is the, ge- is the geographic effects. Um, and consider this. Um, Jonah is a prophet, and by definition... A prophet is, is defined by his ability to stand in the presence of God. That is his job, to be closer to God than anybody else, to speak on behalf of God, to the people of God. It is defined by this word presence. And what does Jonah do? He flees from the presence of the Lord. Now, let's not accuse him of an elementary sin here. Jonah doesn't believe that if he leaves Israel, that there's this imaginary bubble, that if he can get outside the bubble, he is no longer under God's authority and he is free and he is autonomous. He knows that. He knows God is omnipresent, and he knows God is sovereign, right? We can't accuse him of thinking that. Instead, what's going on here? What we need to see as Jonah is, is leaving Israel, as he's leaving his borders, as he's leaving his people, as he's leaving the temple where God says to his people, this is where I will reside, and as long as you are here, so will I be here too. What Jonah is saying when he's communicating in this passage is, I no longer want to be in the service of God. God, if that's what you want me to do, then I'm done. I'm out. I withdraw. Find someone else. He's sacrificing his spiritual life. He's leaving the temple. He's leaving the people. He's leaving the prayers, the songs, the testimonies, the word, the scriptures. He's done. And he's robbing Israel of his presence, of his service. It's financial too, not just geographic. Uh, It says in the passage that he paid a fare to go to Joppa. Now, for us to get somewhere at least halfway around the world, it may not break the bank, but we have to understand in Old Testament times, to take a trip, like a trip that Jonah is getting ready to uh, embark on, would cost a life savings. This is not just a weekend getaway. He's willing to give up his financial security, everything he owns, to rebel. That's how severe it is. Last thing, and perhaps the most profound and unsettling, is this. For the sake of his rebellion, for the sake of his autonomy, to have the freedom to say, I am no longer under the authority of God. He's willing to sacrifice the lives of others. And this is not something he becomes aware of later. This is something that he's very aware of. He puts the lives of the sailors at stake because of his rebellion. And what we need to wrestle with this morning... And what we need to chew on is this. As as much as we would like to think 
that our disagreements with the Lord, the Lord is exercising his, his sovereignty in a way in our own life that we don't approve of. We would like to think we can just keep that between us and God. I'm just going to disappear. I'm just going to go off the radar. I'm done with quiet times. I'm done with church. I'm just done. We'd like to think it would stop there. But what this passage tells us is there's no such thing as a private rebellion. The hands always follow the heart. Behavior has always followed the affections. And if you're angry with the Lord, we're going to find out. We're going to see. And it's going to affect the lives of others. And so that a private affair that you're having with that person that, who is not your spouse, that's not just between you and the Lord. That's between you and your spouse, too. They're going to be hurt. Your children are going to suffer. And their children are going to suffer. There's no such thing as a rebellion in a bubble. You can't contain it. It will spill out to every aspect of life. And it will affect and it will hurt and it will damage other people. And other people will suffer because of it. As, as private as you want to keep it, don't assume you can keep that private. It's going to happen. This takes a lot of soul searching. This takes a lot of questions. What are those things that I know deep down? Those addictions, those habits, those struggles that I go, I know this grieves the Lord. I know that I should not be doing this. What are those things? We have to search our heart. Because there's no kingdom without submission. Lastly, the ends of rebellion. Um, I want to look at verse 12 uh, for this. As if the geographic and financial and social implications aren't enough. What God is going to communicate to us in this passage, he's going to paint a portrait of, of the end of rebellion. This is where rebellion will take you. Look with me at verse 12. He says to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Here we're tempted to think, Ah, last week we talked about how, how Jonah is going to point us to Jesus and in a lot of ways through his behavior and his actions and his words. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to point us to Jesus. And we're tempted to think here, ah, Jonah has come. He's, he's come to an understanding. He's, he's seen the error of his ways. He realized he's in rebellion before God. He's beginning to turn and he's telling these sailors, hey, look, it's because of me. And if you want to be saved, let me sacrifice myself. Throw me in. I'll be a sacrifice for you. Just as Jesus was a sacrifice for his people, Jonah is going to be a sacrifice for, his, for, his, for the sailors on this boat and free them from this wrath of God. Don't be tempted to think that that's what's going on here. Jonah is not being noble. Let me remind you, we're still in the context of Jonah's rebellion. Let me prove it to you in one more way. Look at verse 9. Listen to Jonah's confession. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. You go, it sounds like Jonah's confessing. It sounds like he's, he's turning the corner. He's making this bold profession. And let me remind you, um, this was forced out of Jonah's mouth. Earlier, it would have been appropriate for him to make a confession about God and who he is, the God of sea and the God of dry land. But this is forced by the sailors. Remember, they cast lots. This is forced out of Jonah's mouth. And basically what he's just telling him is, I'm a Hebrew. This is what we believe. We fear the God of the heavens and of the earth, of the dry land and of the sea. And what he tells the sailor is, is this, is throw me overboard. Not so that I can save your life, not so that I can be a sacrifice for you, but what he's communicating is this, is I would rather die than obey. I choose death. Throw me in. 
I am so done with this. I want my autonomy so much and with such great passion, I would rather die. Send me to the pits than obey. Very sobering thought. It reminds us and it forces us to wrestle with this this simple point. Rebellion at its core is self-destructive. At its core, rebellion will lead you to one place, self-destruction. God will give you what you want. We'll talk about this later. Uh, I want to close with a a few things. First, a hypothetical. I I mentioned there's there's no kingdom without submission. And as readers of of, of the Old and the New Testament in the 21st century, that that command is very clear to submit before God. But let me me suggest this, this, this hypothetical situation. What if? What if the call to us, what if the charge to us is, is, is yes, to submit, but not to a tyrant. What if the charge to us was to submit to a loving, a merciful, a compassionate God? What if that was the charge? What if Scripture says that's who you're to submit to? And what if his terms weren't slavery, oppression, evil? What if his terms were this? Freedom, grace, love, respect, gratitude, what if, what if those were his terms? If we had to submit before a loving and gracious God, who, who, and those were his terms, would you? Would you submit? I want us to consider two things. And this is in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He's addressing this very situation. It's a popular verse. We know it well. Um, but consider this. Let me, let me paraphrase before we read it. Paul is reminding the church in Philippi of this great truth, that there is, there is one being who is autonomous, that is the Lord. All power, all dominion, all authority is given to the Lord and Lord alone. He alone is autonomous. He answers to no one. And he tells the church in Philippi, but something crazy happens. One member of this trinity separates himself. He says, I'm, I'm leaving all power, all dominion, and I'm going to put on... I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to submit. I'm going to place myself under the authority, the providence, the sovereignty of the Father. And I'm going to obey. Obey to the point of death. Listen to this verse again. You know it well, but listen to it with fresh ears. This is what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How submissive was this Jesus to the point of death? How submissive was he to the point of death on the cross? Jonah says, I'd rather die than obey. One other illustration And then we'll close. It's moments, hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And he's in the garden and he's praying. And he is greatly grieved to the point to where the writers say he, he begins sweating blood. And he's praying to the Father and he says, Father, if there be any other way, 
please take this cup from me. He, like Jonah, is wrestling too with this flesh, being submissive under God the Father. He knows that he has submitted himself fully to this man. And he too, like Jonah, is wrestling with the providence of God. And God is saying, no. In order for my people to live, in order for my children to live, you must submit and obey to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And how does, how does Jesus respond? Jonah's response is this. Not your will, but mine be done. Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. Jonah would rather die than obey, but Jesus would rather obey than live. And the question is, is right and appropriate for us to ask, what if, what if as readers of the, of the New Testament and the Old Testament, what if the charge to us to submit is not to a God of evil or tyranny? What if it's to a merciful and gracious God? And what if his terms are terms of compassion and grace and gratitude? What if that were true? And friends, the good news is that it is. The God of scriptures is not a tyrant. And he is not evil, but he is a God of love and a God of mercy. And what the Father says is is your submission, your righteousness, your obedience is at my right hand in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you get to submit. Now you get to obey. Now you get to pursue righteousness. Now out of gratitude, out of love. Now it will be your joy to submit before a God like that. Wouldn't it? May it be so. Let's pray as Jonah would not. Father, we humble ourselves before you because you are God and we have forgotten our place in the created order. You are the potter, we are the clay. You are the creator, we are the creation. And Father, forgive us for our private, our public rebellions. Forgive us for thinking that we know better And cause us to not lose sight of your son, the one who emptied himself of his autonomy, his power, and his glory, so that he might be our submission for us. And so, Father, help us to realize, may it be a part of our reality, that may we believe in our our marrow that you are a good and gracious God and you are no tyrant. Enable us to that end, we pray, O Spirit. Amen. We come now to...